You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by the free Elementary Music Newbie Guide. We all know that you can't learn it all in four years, but the sad reality is that many new music teachers don't feel prepared for the elementary music classroom. In this free guide, we'll work through four of the most important things when it comes to being successful as an elementary music teacher. To grab your guide, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash newbie. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash N-E-W-B-I-E. I'm so excited to share this interview with Leslie Schultz. So Leslie is actually my former teacher, which is so cool. Uh, She started me on the viola back when I was in fifth grade. Um, And she's an amazing music educator that teaches in the high school realm. She reached out to me a while back and asked about talking about what happens to the teenagers, which I think is a wonderful conversation to have, especially as elementary music teachers thinking forward about how what we do in the elementary music classroom can affect the high school classroom, but also talking about high school music education in general, where it's not just the performing ensembles. So I'm really excited for you to hear this interview with Leslie Schultz. Leslie currently teaches secondary general music and orchestra at Princeton City Schools in Cincinnati, Ohio. She earned her Bachelor's of Music Education from West Virginia University and her Master's of Music Education from Ohio University. Leslie is a Level 2 Google Certified Educator, and she keeps an active performing schedule around the state of Ohio, performing with several regional symphonies on viola. She is a member of TIME, Technology and Music Education, and serves as the Ohio Chapter President and on the Ash- National Conference Committee. Leslie is a columnist for SBO Magazine. In her copious amounts of spare time, she enjoys knitting, watching West Virginia Mountaineer sports, and spending time with her family and making TikToks about her cats. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Leslie Schultz. So without any more blabber on my part, here is our interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. Today, I have an extra special guest, um, my former teacher, Leslie Schultz, which I'm super excited um, to talk to her about what happens to those teenagers once they leave the elementary music classroom. So, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited for what we're going to get into today. I am so super excited as well. Uh, I always like watching uh, what my former students are up to. And, you know, it's been a few years since we've connected, but I'm really looking forward to our talk today. Awesome. This is so exciting. Uh, So, Leslie, before we get started, will you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where you got your your start in education, you, you know, where you went to college, and then where you kind of ended up now? Well, uh, my journey's pretty long. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. And that was a wonderful place to go attend school. They have a very comprehensive music education program where we did, we did it all. Like my student teaching, we, I did elementary general music. I did all levels of orchestra. I even did some jazz band and some regular bands. And I also did, um, a little bit of middle school general music 
thrown in there with all of it. So it was really, really wonderful, really comprehensive. And then I did my master's work through um, Ohio University's like three summers half online program where we went for like two summers or three summers. And then we also did like two or three classes at that time. It was quarters. Um, and I got my master's degree through there and how exciting. Yeah. And then, um, currently I am teaching in the Princeton city school district. That's in Southwest Ohio, just North of the Cincinnati area. Um, and I have been teaching there since 2008. And um, currently I teach uh, 9 through 12 general music mostly. And then I help out with the orchestras. I also help out with the marching band. Awesome. And I'm really excited to talk about what general music looks like at the high school, because especially now, you know, in the world of COVID, there's been a lot of conversations about, you know, what do we want music education to look like when we return to whatever normal is going to be. Um, and a lot of what I've been saying is, you know, kind of rethinking the the high school secondary model. So it's not just ensemble. So we can really have more than just performing. And I, I, I'm really interested for this conversation personally, and I really hope my listeners feel the same way. So other than teaching, what is something that you're passionate about and that brings you joy? Oh, well, I have two cats. So those of uh, people who are maybe Facebook friends or Instagram friends know that I have two cats and they are my world. So they bring me a lot of joy. I also get a lot of joy out of things like knitting. I've made myself several afghans and sweaters over the years. Um, and then honestly, I get, I get a lot of pleasure out of just performing, still playing viola, which is my primary instrument. And I'm very lucky that I get to do that with several smaller regional symphonies here in the Ohio area. I'm actually the librarian for one of them now, the Butler Philharmonic Orchestra down in my area. So all of those things, you know, they help me to remind me of what music is truly all about. And that is, you know, you want people to enjoy it for the long term and not just, you know, it's not all about, you know, the performance in the school or that. But I want to make lifelong music appreciators and consumers through what I do. I 100% agree with what you just said about the consumers and appreciators of the arts. That's that's really kind of my goal. You know, people think, you know, what's the what's the purpose of music education? And obviously, I would love if all of my students became professional musicians, but the reality is they're not going to. <laughs> but my my goal is I want them to all understand and appreciate why there are people that are professional musicians and, you know, to still consume music even if it's not at a professional level. Yes, absolutely. I mean, without those consumers and appreciators, you know, even the biggest rock artists, even the biggest hip hop artists, even our symphonies, choirs, all of that, they would not exist in the forms they do without, uh, you know, people or students getting exposed to music, getting exposed to, you know, hey, you should listen to music, how much music is actually in our daily lives. And that is one of my primary goals as a secondary general music teacher is to show these students, hey, this is a part of our society. We want to enhance it. We want to protect it. And it isn't all about you performing. You can still enjoy music, even if you're not participating in it. I'm, I'm I'm just over here jumping for joy because this is 
this is something that I am very passionate about as well. And especially, you know, as we're dealing with COVID and, you know, you're not able to sing or we've been having to adapt. I've been seeing so many of my students that typically you you know, weren't really into the singing and things like that, that have been really showing me the other side of their musicality, their, you know, their artistic listening and their creative ability in a way that they're consuming. So I, I've definitely think that, that that's one thing that my curriculum is going to be evolving um, when we get back to whatever normal is. Yes. And, you know, I certainly hope that, you know, some of the things we have learned during this last year or so, we take forward and we apply and don't lose these lessons once we get back to that daily grind. Because especially at the secondary level, it's a cycle. I'm sure it's a cycle at the elementary too, but it's like a cycle. You've got your October cycle, your December cycle, your March and your end of year. So how do we vary that up to give more opportunities for kids to express themselves musically and become those lifelong music lovers? For sure. So before we dive in too deep, <laughs> I, know, talk, I, know. I know it's so easy. Uh, what led you to pursue a degree in music? And then what, how, why did you ultimately decide on music education? Um, I actually in high school, like I was really into the whole like Columbus Symphony Youth Orchestra th- uh, thing because I was in Columbus at that time. Um, and I just enjoyed being in the music wing a lot, like wherever I was at. I'm like, okay, how many music classes are they going to let me take? I was also really interested in English and history. I was more on that end. Um, so I was always interested in like the history behind this piece. Okay, so why did Mozart write this? Or why did you know, Shostakovich faced so much prosecution. At least in high school, I was so interested in the backstory of the music. So that's part of the reason why I decided, hey, let's do music. And then um, some of my background is is that I grew up with a fairly um, very lower middle class background. Um, my dad was out of work for about you know, 18 months when I was around second, third grade. And that was a bit of a rough time. So I totally understand the poverty aspect of life with the children who don't maybe have enough food or the children who don't maybe have enough clothing that fits, those sorts of things. So part of me and keeping myself on an even keel is having a steady profession. And As we know, if you're a professional musician, especially this last year, it's been a rough go. So part of me back in the day choosing music education was I had a passion for music, but I also wanted to make sure I was able to have a steady job while still being in music. And that's maybe a bit unusual, Um, but ultimately I just loved music so much and I wanted to make sure that I could pass on that loving music to everybody else as well. What a what a great story. And I think a lot of what you just said kind of sums up into the last sentence. You know, you want to be able to pass on that love of music, um, which I think is when, when I've been doing these interviews for the last couple of years, um, a lot of that is, is a similarity between other teachers has kind of fallen down to wanting to pass it on. And me personally, in my personal story, I want to pass on the love of music that I have to those students. So I really, um, really echo on that part as well. So let's talk a little bit. How did you end up in your current position, especially when it's the, you know, the general music side of it? 
Well, it's been a very long road. Um, I am currently finishing up my 18th year of teaching, believe it or not. Um, and, you know, when I came out of college, I'm like, I'm going to be the gangbuster orchestra director, take all the kids to contest, you know, this, that, and the other, you know, really gung-ho about being an orchestra director. And, you know, I tried to pursue positions that allowed me to be that. And, you know, I started off in a fifth and sixth building where orchestra was like four sixths of my schedule. And the other two bells were just general music for fifth and sixth graders. Uh, So that was my first indoctrination to slightly older level general music. Um, And then I was in that position for a couple years. And then I came and taught Bryson for a few years I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) During his, what, were you in fifth grade or sixth grade? I forget. But it was during your uh, middle school time frame that I taught you. And you were always wonderful. You really were. (laughs) You really were. We have some stories, but we won't get into those. Oh, I'm Um, sure. Um, and then I decided to get back closer to home in the Cincinnati area with the Princeton. This is where my parents are at and everything. Um, and you know, for a while there, I was doing high school orchestra. I was doing primarily orchestra, but part of where I'm at now is pretty much every teacher has at least one, uh, general music course at the 612 level. Some of us have more, some of us have less. It just kind of depends, but Pretty much everybody has at least one in their schedule every day. Now, over the years, my orchestra has been whittled away and I've been taking over more primarily of the high school general music. And I was very fortunate to start a music technology and production program six years ago. Um, and other than that, I've basically taught at all 612 that we offer, which is piano classes, guitar classes, uh, middle school general music programs where we do guitars, ukuleles, a little bit of ORF, you know, American styles history, like I'm currently teaching an American, um, styles and history music course online. That's been really, really good because we talked about, we talk about, you know, the bias in, music education and how it's very much, you know, white based. And I've been doing my best to bring in black composers to talk about. And they did a writing assignment just before spring break here about if our national anthem should be replaced. So, and a lot of those answers were very interesting. So over the years, I've just kind of fell into a more general music role, especially for high school. I think that is a very interesting kind of progression because when you look at, you know, if you were to look at a hundred different high schools and look at the music programs that are offered, I would say probably 95% of them would be only choir, only band, maybe orchestra. Um, it, with, and with that, that general music aspect that you said, if there's something, it might be like a theory course, but like, I love how you talked that you, you know, you started the, you know, the production lab and you kind of have these different things that you've been doing. So I want to talk a little bit about music education at the secondary level. In your opinion, what do you think the role of music education is at the, the middle school, high school level? And do you think that we as a society uh, are putting too much emphasis on the performing ensembles? I think we 
as educators have an obligation to make well-rounded individuals. And part of that is the arts, whether that's music, whether that's, you know, art classes, whether that's, you know, auxiliary social studies classes, like my school has like a military history elective, things like that. Um, when it comes to performing ensembles, a lot of resources, a lot of resources get spent on those performing ensembles um, all over the country. I mean, there are, I, I would love to see if anybody has figures on how much is actually spent on those big band shows that we all see at the high school level, you know, yeah. like nationwide or statewide. I don't know if those figures are available, but I know there's a lot of money that goes into it. Now, those programs are very good for our students and they do provide performance opportunities. They can get their gym credits through them, all sorts of things. I am in full support of that. I just am also for music for everybody. Now, a lot of this does come down to teachers and scheduling and staffing as well. A lot of these, um, you know, performance ensemble directors, they're full up with all their different performance ensembles. There's no room in the schedule. So then you're talking about hiring another teacher and a lot of districts just aren't willing to do that for whatever reason. Um, so I do think that in some areas, yes, there is too much put on performing ensembles. That doesn't mean that they're not valid, that they don't provide very good opportunities for our students. I am just concerned that a lot of students are being missed into make, becoming future music consumers, future music supporters by not having at least a few non-performance where it doesn't matter if you're in an ensemble or not music electives. Oh my goodness. So many great points there. And I think, First, I want to also go on record saying I am 100% in support of performing ensembles. But just like you said, I don't think we're actually reaching everyone. You know, oh. there, there's definitely a barrier for entry there. Well, and, and the data supports that. If you go looking at some of the and uh, NAFME, I can never I never know what they're calling themselves, but NAFME papers, you'll find out that r roughly 10 to 20 percent of a school is in a performing ensemble in most cases. Where are the other 80 to 90 percent of the kids? Where are For they? For sure. I mean, at my school, I've run the data at my school. We are actually on the other side of that scale. In any given year at my high school of roughly, you know, we're roughly like 16, 1700 students. I haven't done this year's data yet. Um, but we average about 70% take a music course in the course of a year. And Rather I think that says a lot. Yeah, I think it, that really says a lot. It really does because, you know, we're getting 70% of our population in a music course somewhere throughout the year. And that's one of those things where it doesn't, you know, if, if you're, if you're not someone who plays an instrument, maybe you, maybe you don't want to play an instrument. Maybe you don't want to sing. Maybe you're really into history. Maybe you want to take a history of rock and roll class. Like maybe you want to, you know, that's still history. That's still music. It's still part of, you know, creating, you know, all 
holistically educating our students, but also creating well-rounded musicians, even if they're not in the performance side of it. And I, I think that's, you brought up another really good point where a lot of these teachers are already full to the brim. Their schedules are full. Um, so then you have two options, really. You can cut down on the performance ensembles or you can hire a new teacher. And both of those options are scary. <laughs> both of those options are going to have a lot of pushback. Um, you know, obviously hiring someone new from the um, administrative side is um, a little bit of a gamble. And then no one wants to take away parts of a program. Um yeah. So it's definitely it's definitely a systematic change that we have to do. I say this fairly frequently to my department leader and others. I can only teach six bells a day, no matter how much you need me elsewhere. I can only teach six bells a day. And that's what it comes down to is it's a lot of staffing. It's a lot, and we are very lucky where I'm at to have the level of staffing that we do. And we have fought to protect that over the years as well. Um, I just know that there are districts that aren't as lucky. I also know of people where who I graduated with in West Virginia, where they are the music teacher 612. Yeah. Band, That's... choir, <laughs> anything else to make it work. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one of those things where, you know, we that's not setting our teachers up for success, <laughs> No, but also it's not allowing us to have those opportunities because here's where I think a lot of the, the kind of pushback comes from. If you were to say, Hey, I would love, you know, we're, we're we want to add this entire general music side to secondary music education. The, the amount of schools that have that are very low comparatively and, you know, trying something new when you're not sure, you know, what are going to be the, the results can be a little scary, um, especially when it comes to, you know, putting a bunch of money into, um, you know, hiring someone and figuring out new schedules and things like that. But because it's something new, we don't know exactly how it's going to benefit our students, um, especially in that setting. But just by just by looking at the schools that have been doing it, like you said, you had you know some seventy percent of your students involved in the music program. That's involved, you know, creating these well-rounded individuals. Um, I know there's there's a lot, so many other benefits of music, you know, for us from the SEL side of things. Um, so I know I'm I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. <laughs> um, but why do you think we kind of shift from? At the general approach, you know, general music approach at the elementary level, and then we typically see a kind of really drastic switch um, to the performance setting in middle school and high school. I think that goes back with the history of music education, which um, I delved into a little bit in both my undergrad and my graduate degrees. If you head back of the history of music education in the United States of America, you'll know that it was a lot of, you know, community band leaders that maybe needed a day job. So they decided, decided to start a band at the school. And then, you know, we have the whole football performance culture, um, you know, or you needed a choir and or, you know, there were community choirs, church choirs, and they're like, hey, why don't we train up our students in the schools and then they can become community choir members, church choir members, that sort of thing. So a lot of that, you know, just goes with our history that, oh, okay, we're out of elementary school now. So let's start putting you in choir and let's start putting you in band or orchestra. Um, if you read up on the history of Merle J. Isaac, who arranged a lot of, you know, 
orchestra pieces in the mid and early 20th century, which a lot of it is still performed today. You'll learn that, you know, he came into music education through a community view and he wanted to take these pieces and prep students to be in a further orchestra down the line. Again, that whole piece we want to make is our musicians as professional as possible so that they can participate in community bands, orchestra choirs, which, you know, in the 20th century, there were a ton. There's fewer these days, but you know, there is still a strong community band, community choir community all over this, all over the USA. And I think it comes down to that. Where, you know, okay, we need to get these kids performing so if they want to have this as a hobby or an activity in their adult lives, they can. I, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. And you know, if you go, if you dive into, you know, your philosophy, philosophy of music education, you know, why do we teach? Why, you know, why do we have the history of how music education is? There's a lot of that, you know, preparing them for the, the community aspect of it, which I think is, again, I think is great. But I think we got a little bit stuck, and I think that's where we have such a, a major shift. And I, I, I feel personally um, that we need to do better at creating and well, one, you know, just having general music throughout, but also making sure it's not a complete switch when they leave the middle school or when they leave elementary school and go to middle school. So it's not a complete um, culture shock. For one, I feel like that's where we lose a lot of people from the music programs altogether. Um, but that's a that's a story for another day. <laughs> yes. Well, and also, if you look historically, and this is where, you know, we talk about a barrier to entry, especially with instrumental music. Uh, and there's been a lot of different uh, controversies recently with bassoon in particular. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, what it comes down to is a lot of kids didn't have the opportunity to join band orchestra choir because their schools weren't as funded. It comes down to the whole equity piece in education quite a bit. And, you know, some districts have been more successful than others at solving that equity, whether it's through, you know, school instrument programs or programs in their community to get kids instruments. But it's still a barrier that exists today where, you know, we have an elementary program, but, you know, none of the kids can afford to rent their own instrument. And that's part of the reason why you see the drop off, uh, because a lot of districts aren't either don't have or can't spend the resources to provide every kid an instrument like they do a textbook. Uh, yeah. And that, again, that's one of those, another conversation that I would <laughs> love to pick your brain about. Oh, um, oh my goodness. That is a whole other thing. So without getting too far <laughs> into the rabbit hole, I know, I know. what do you think people get wrong about music education? I think they get wrong that we are just there for babysitting. I mean, even more so than the whole babysitting tint that is education, especially right now with everybody trying to get back to school. Um, within education, we are looked at like extra fluff. Like, But the truth yes. is, is that we do teach reading. We do teach math. 
we is I mean, I'm teaching a history course. Like it's a full-on history course. It's just it's got music as its topic instead of, you know, like American history, George Washington, all of that. Um we do teach science because if you're in a performing ensemble or even if you're in a guitar class, you have to learn some physics. You know, okay, the sound is higher as you work up the guitar fretboard because you're shortening the string. You're shortening, you know, it's it's all that physics and stuff that I can't do the math for, but I can tell you how to make your sound good. <laughs> um, for <so> sure. <laughs> we, we do all of those things and we help reinforce what's going on in the normal classroom even at the high school level i mean i am teaching my history students research skills i am teaching my music uh production uh students you know how to manage a project and how to uh you know express themselves in a creative way you know, in guitar class, I get a lot of um, English language learners in my guitar class. Some of them play guitar better than I do, but they're like, it, it's fine, Miss Schultz. It's fine. You, we are here to learn English in your class <laughs> because they know the guitar terms, but then I put that spin of English on it for them. And that's why I get a lot of newcomers to our ELL program in guitar class. So we are doing these academic things. We're just doing it in a different way. And we are servicing those different learners. I mean, education's all about differentiation. So music is a part of that differentiation of instruction. Yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm over here. I'll do it. I mean, like, so I was, you know, you know this, but I was raised by two teachers. So I understand that, you know, teachers, they tend not to get the the best overall, you know, people think of them sometimes, you know, people often think of teachers in general as babysitters. And like, so I can get that, you know, I, I kind of let that roll off my skin. But when I have teachers that are telling me or showing me with their actions that they value what I do less because it's music, that's what really bothers me is because it, like you said, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're not teach we're not a math teacher, but we're still teaching things that really help these students. We're still part of the same team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We are still part of the same team. We are valid as teachers. We have just as much training, if not more, uh, because I don't know about, uh, I'm just going to pick on science teachers for a moment because I have several science teacher friends and I like to pick on them sometimes. <laughs> um, at high school level in science, you are, your certification is in one aspect of science, like physics, biology, chemistry, like you as a science teacher, you are not allowed to teach biology if you if your certifications in chemistry. Our certification says pre-K-12. Yes. Nothing about band, nothing <laughs> about choir, nothing about orchestra, nothing about general music. So as a music teacher, we are expected to be knowledgeable and be able to teach Whatever music class the district needs you to teach. Now, sure. with, that, with that said, you really don't want me in choir. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, Bryson has heard me sing. It's not pretty. <laughs> um, but, you know, we are in a pinch 
supposed to be able to teach all of it. We are not as highly specialized as some of the subject areas. So, you know, we, we do have to have that well-rounded education. And that's another topic that I know you've been addressing is, you know, our music education programs are not that well-rounded. Ooh, yeah, you're going to get me on my soapbox now. One hundred percent. Like you know, especially when you look at the general music side of it. You know, undergrad is like, all right, you're going to be a band director, you're going to be a choir director, but you might teach elementary school or you might teach general music. And it's you know, like in my in my own schooling, you know, I took one class about elementary methods, um, about teaching at the elementary level. That's my whole job now. <laughs> so I can only imagine that at the high school level. You know, I, I, I don't remember doing anything high school general music or middle school general music. It was all elementary general music or performing. So that's definitely something we need to fix at the undergraduate level. And I will tell you, it is getting better depending on where you are going to school. There are a lot of at least basic music technology programs popping up as an elective in the music education spectrum. But I have another soapbox. I believe at least one semester of music technology something should be required at the underground level. Because even if you are going to be that performing ensemble director, you're going to need to be able to use a Logic Pro or an Ableton at times. I mean, there's band pieces out there that have synthetic music computer parts in them now. Yeah, I think if we're if we're making sure that our degrees and our training is, you know, staying relevant, I think even even if it's something as basic as hey how do you put together some microphones how do you make use a sound system work but even beyond that i think that we need to make sure that um our music teachers are learning the software of now because let's be honest there's going to be software of the future that's going to be even more complicated but do so many more amazing things that we're going to need to kind of figure out as we go yes yes and that's where also uh professional conferences uh, like OMEA, TMEA, they they have to a certain extent stepped up to that plate. Um, I am a member, I'm currently the Ohio president of the Technology and uh, Music Education Teachers for Ohio, or TIME as we are known. And we are, you know, working towards that and getting teachers to adopt technology. And it really, the last year has been a baptism by fire for a lot of teachers. (laughs) And I can't tell you how many colleagues from all over the state. And in some cases, the country they've emailed me saying, how do you do this? You've done it for like four years. How do you do this? And, you know, I give them my tips and tricks and that sort of thing. But I'm ultimately like, you have to adopt, Adopt a technology practice that works for you. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to adopt everything at once. Choose one. Choose one. Put that in your practice. And then maybe, you know, three or four months down the line, choose another one and put that into your practice. That's how I did it. I added everything very gradually. I I think that is a wonderful way to, <laughs> to really start, you know, changing things. You know, don't try to change everything all at once, um, but try to make it a little bit, um, you know, t- turning that ship by degrees and things like that. So, Leslie, before we go, what advice do you have for those that are either in school to be music teachers or that are considering the profession, especially when it relates to creating that, you know, secondary general music area? 
I firmly believe this has to be like a um, symbiotic relationship between the students and what they feel they need and the colleges getting with the times and offering more of these things. So my advice to any current music undergrad is if your college or university offers a course in production tools or technology or GarageBand or Ableton or anything that you can take, take the class. For sure. (laughs) Second thing is um, if you can, I, I always welcome, if anybody wants to come observe me in Princeton, it's an open door basically. Uh, We have a good relationship in the area with both uh, Miami University and Oxford's very close to us and uh, University of Cincinnati, CCM, Conservatory of Music, both have very good working relationships with both those schools. We get student observers from them quite frequently. But if you're interested in coming to observe my class, seek me out because I mean this year it's a little hard because I am distance learning from home but I'll be back in the building in the fall yeah seek me out you're welcome to come observe my classes anytime I welcome that um so seek out those teachers that do something a little different and also and I've said this to a couple people in various online forums before if your main goal is to be that big band director, yeah, that's a really good goal to have. But just realize there are so many more music jobs out there that aren't that big band director job or that big choir director job. And in a lot of cases, yeah, there are a lot of band directors that teach only band all day long. But the vast majority of them have one or maybe two classes of a non-performing music class, whether that's theory, whether that's a piano class, whether that's a guitar class. So you as a um, future music educator need to be prepared to literally teach anything. About the only thing I have not done in my career is full-on elementary general, like below fifth grade. And (laughs) which is my jam, which is where I feel the most comfortable. (laughs) And choir. Everything else I have done. All right. Well, I think that's great advice. And thank you for opening up your classroom to those. Um, I might have to take you up on that offer sometime. Like for real, you could come down. We'd have a good time. Let's do it. Um, So Leslie, where can we find more of you online? Um, I do have a blog. It is a bit of a personal professional mix blog. It's Ratchet Tech Broke. I'm sure you've got the link. It'll be in the the meeting notes or whatever. For sure. Uh, and I am not on teacher pay teachers because I'm very much digital and all of my stuff just goes out digital. So I'm not on that or anything. Uh, but I, that's the, the main thing. I have a blog. I also have a podcast that I uh, started around the same time you started yours, but then I kind of like just didn't do anything with it for a year. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's called Music for Teens. I am updating episodes regularly again, talking about a lot of what we kind of got into today, just more in depth. What? Why are teenagers different when it comes to learning music? You know, what... Uh- you know, societal things, 
are going on with the teenagers that, you know, they want to learn about, not necessarily what you think a music history course should be. All right. Well, I will be sure to put all those links in the show notes as well. So everyone can check those out and I will definitely be checking out that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I I welcome you too. It's a a work in progress like any podcast. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. I really appreciate being able to reconnect and for you sharing your insight um, with my listeners as well. Seriously, anytime, Bryson, if you want to get into, you know, where we started to get in the weeds and bring me back, just let me know. I have a feeling you're going to be a repeat guest because we have a lot of soapboxes. (laughs) Yes. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Oh, you're welcome. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.